Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. First off, hoping everybody had a fantastic holiday season. Obviously, we have the new year approaching, but Christmas and Hanukkah and all the, the big gift-giving holidays have come and passed, and hopefully everybody enjoyed their their time with loved ones as I did. We had a great Christmas break so far. I have a few days left to my break, so I'm trying to get, basically, as soon as I'm on vacation or have a break, it becomes Tom's Big Spiders time where I try to get a lot of videos done, podcasts done. Still sitting on, I think I'm up to nine articles I've written that I've waiting to post on my website that I, I know I keep talking about. It's become a running joke and some people have been ribbing me about it. But I have all this stuff I need to get done that just isn't time. So the vacation, my vacation at least, or my holiday is spent trying to get some of this stuff done, which don't I don't want it to sound like I'm approaching it like it's work. I enjoy it. But there's always this feeling like, oh, time's running out, and next thing you know it, I'll be back at work, and there's just not enough time. So it's like trying to balance the fun stuff, the hobbies with the work, and get all this stuff in. And, and the thing is, the Tom's Big Spider stuff, between just creating the videos, creating the podcast, that takes time, but it's it's the correspondence that really get, gets to be overwhelming at times. So trying to catch up with everything. So anyway, starting this one off, we're going to have a, a major topic coming in a moment, but to kick this one off, this is something I planned on addressing a while ago. And it's kind of a pet peeve of mine, but I've noticed it more so lately because I've had some comments on videos and stuff where I've had to kind of deal with this. But basically it goes like this. I, I posted up a video a while ago of a piece Sazme. I thought it was it has one of my favorite shots of any tarantula I've ever gotten because it was a bioactive enclosure and it's right next to, I believe, a Fatonia plant or, and it looks just gorgeous. And somebody came on and went, oh, why is yours so drab? I've seen these before and they're much more bright blue. So I, I, you know, politely came on and said, well, this is what they look like if you don't jack up all the colors and everything and try to make them look brighter than they are. This is their natural. Once you hit them under light, they are brilliant blue and they tend to be more brilliant right after mold. Explain my whole thing. Oh, no, I saw a bunch of them on Instagram that were much more blue than that. Yours must be a color morph. So I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, if, you know, it's not a color morph. This is what they look like. And then there was a Harpactura Pulcherpes. And somebody came on and went, wow, is that an older specimen? Because she looks really drab or something like that. Used a more, not as brilliant or resplendent as apparently she was expecting. And again, I went into my, no, this is, and this was an older video. Now she is less colorful than she was before. That is a species that I, it looks to me like as they put on age, some of those colors mute a little bit. Still gorgeous, don't get me wrong. But it was an older one and it, I thought she looked pretty darn bright. So again, we went back, well, guess what? When the person started explaining themselves, like, nope, I've seen pictures all over. There was one on Instagram where they were super brilliant. It almost looked like it was on fire. All right, so here's the deal. We all take pictures of our tarantulas. We love showing them off. And nothing, I've said this many times before, nothing captivates someone's attention, especially someone who thinks they're just big, ugly brown spiders, than showing them pictures of a resplendent, colorful tarantula, something green or purple or obviously blue is the big one. And I think what happened, there's no I think, I know this happens, and I've, I've fallen victim to this before myself, and I try not to do it now, but what happens is you take a picture of a tarantula, and it's a blue one, and you're like, wow, this looks great. And then you get on to, like, you go to post it on Instagram, I know Instagram it's easy to do, or you throw it on Photoshop, because I will say, and this is a problem I'm sure other people have encountered as well, you have the tarantula in front of you, it's perfectly lit, the colors are popping, you take a picture, you're, you're looking through your camera viewfinder, my lord, this thing is simply glowing with color, and then you go to Put the post the picture and it's all drab because the the phone or whatever the processing software that processes that image 
kind of mutes all the colors. So what ends up happening is you play this game of, I, well, at least this is what I do, and this is where sometimes you can fall into the trap. I try to replicate exactly what I was seeing with my naked eye. We all talk about there are certain species, like GBB is one where it's really tough to get a good picture of those colors popping. You get on Photoshop, you get on the edit function of Instagram, which I'm just discovering because I've been posting more on Instagram, and next thing you know it, you're, you're turning up the contrast a little bit. You're turning up the brightness a little bit. Then you go to saturation. You turn up the saturation a little bit, and all of a sudden you have, oh, look at this. The problem is there are folks that go a bit too far. <laughs> like I can understand trying to get the image of the, the spider as you see it. You want to dazzle people. You want people to go, ooh, look at that. That's gorgeous. And the more bright it looks, the more, you know, it looks like it's glowing. The, obviously, the more people are going to respond to it. So you end up jacking up to a point that's unrealistic. And that's where I think it sometimes becomes an issue only because you're giving people unrealistic expectations of what these things look like. And I've had people comment over the years that they were very disappointed when they got like their well, one that comes up quite a bit is C. lividus. Uh, they got their female C. lividus and I don't get it. I don't know if this is an old female or what, but it's not anywhere near as bright as the pictures. Well, unfortunately, you probably fell victim to one of the overzealous doctors of pictures on Instagram or something where they go through and jack it up because I have seen pictures of the C. lividus and they just look, I'm sorry, that's, they don't look like that in real life. I know we all get moments where we get them on the right light and they'll great, but they, they don't look like that. So I think what happens is unfortunately we're doing a disservice to people who are coming into the hobby because they're left disappointed by the fact that their C. lividus isn't, you know, bright smurf blue all the time or their P. sosme isn't literally glowing electric blue. I mean, there are species that it seems like the electric, the Kilobrachi species, electric blue, you don't even have to doctor those. The colors are so vibrant just naturally that you don't have to do anything for it. But there are other ones where it's tricky. So I get where it starts. I get where the temptation begins, where you're looking at it and you're like, oh, I can just jack this up a little bit. But guys, just ease off of it, filters a little bit because it, again, I just think of there's just one on Instagram that does it so excessively and it, I don't know if it's a, a male or female they basically take tarantula pictures and post them up and I don't think any of the pictures are theirs I think I don't know how Instagram works as far as that's concerned but it looks like they just take somebody else's pictures and then they throw them on either Photoshop or Instagram and jack up all of the saturation the contrast I have seen some of the most ridiculous things ever they had a I believe it was a monocent yeah it was monocentropus balfoury that looked like it was radioactive. It was glowing. Everything was jacked up so much. And I actually was one of the few I responded to because somebody went, I didn't know they could get that blue. And I came on and I was like, they don't. Nothing gets that blue. They've just played with the contrast. And then somebody came on and went, oh no, I've seen them. I've seen them myself and they can get that blue. And I'm like, Okay, not to, not to be a jerk here, but I've had 11 of them over the years, and although they can be very, very bright, they I, I can't even explain. They basically jacked up to the fact that it looked like it was like a lightsaber or something. It was that level of almost like a, almost like a Kilo Brockies electric blue, but the whole spider looked like that. It was It was ridiculous. So that one, I actually stopped following that one, I think, because I got sick of the pictures popping up because it just gives people a realistic, unrealistic expectations when they get into the hobby. They see these pictures. I want that bright blue spider and then they come over and see real footage of them and go wait a minute that doesn't look right so guys just i and i also get unfortunately part of instagram is there's a little you know the way the whole thing works is people are drawn to pictures that catch their eye and obviously if one person is posting a photo a good photo of say we'll, we'll go with monocentropus balfouri and it looks really pretty, but the colors aren't jacked up and somebody else has it and they jacked up the contrast, they jacked up the saturation. 
guess which one's going to draw more attention under most circumstances? People are going to go, oh, this one looks nice, but oh, look at this one over here, not realizing that the photo's been doctored. And it's kind of, again, it, it, Instagram is kind of one of those popularity contest things where you put your stuff out there and you look down. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it because you, you put a picture up and then you go, oh, look at 190 people liked or whatever is hearted or whatever. Obviously, I'm still fairly new to the Instagram thing and people are probably laughing at me right now because I sound like an old person that doesn't understand technology. It's just I'm, I don't do a lot of the social media for social media. Like I do it more to just, hey, I have a cool picture. I want to throw it up there. And I use my Instagram when I show people all the spider pictures. is like having my own little online catalog of spiders I've had. But I get the process behind it that you put the picture up. It's a beautiful picture. You want people to respond to it. That makes total sense to me. Unfortunately, though, when you jack up the things, it's kind of an uneven playing field. And you're going to end up with a lot of unrealistic you know, expectations as far as what people can expect from what I think are absolutely beautiful species without being jacked up. So anyway, I just had to throw this up there because I've been spending a lot more time on Instagram lately and I've had a lot of these things coming through. And as of the last couple of weeks, I've had two different comments on videos of people talking about how dull looking my specimens are. And I'm not going to lie. I get a little like, get a little defensive. Like, what do you mean mine's dull looking? That's a gorgeous Sosme, especially the Sosme one. I hate to say it, but I was like, that was one of the shots I was most proud of. Like it just came out beautifully with the background. It looks so naturalistic. And then they're talking about it being dull. I'm like, who are you calling dull? So anyway, just a pet peeve. I don't expect people to stop doing it. It's kind of the nature of the beast. And, and again, I've done it back in the day when I was taking pictures. I had a phone. I believe it was my first Windows phone, which I, I don't know if there's any other old Windows phones users out there, but I love my Windows phone. It was a Nokia. And it took good pictures, but I never could get the colors right. And I remember a couple of them jacking the colors up. And I think I put them up on my website. And then years later, going on my website... And going, the best one was I was searching for a photo of something and I came up on a photo and I was like, dude, somebody jacked this all the way up. Look at the colors. It was my photo and I felt like a total idiot. So not something I, I've done it, but I try to shy away from that now. Now, if I do any alteration to them whatsoever, I'm trying to capture what I saw with my own eye, not trying to over-exaggerate it. So Anyway, that's my little tirade on that. I'm not an angry thing or anything. It just popped up a couple times this week and I thought it'd be an interesting way to kick it off, but rolling into the brunt of this episode we're going to be talking about old worlds and the ladder system and whether or not people should be getting old worlds and all that stuff basically what this came from is i'm getting a lot of comments lately where i'll post up either photos of old world tarantulas or post up videos of old world tarantulas and people will come on and go man that's a beautiful spider but i will never own one of those or man, I wish I could get one of those someday, but they're too terrifying for me or something of that nature, something to the point where it isn't eventually I'd like to work up to these, but just an absolute, I will never own one of these. And I think for some people, if we're being honest, some people are never going to be at that point where they feel comfortable with these. I've, I mean, I've spoken to people, I know people that just, you can tell just by their personalities and the fact that they're still not, they're never at that point where they feel comfortable enough to move into that. And I understand that. But I also think it's sad sometimes because we've done such a job, a good job, I think, over the years in the hobby of making people more aware of the differences between old world and new world tarantulas, of beginner species, intermediate species, and the quote unquote advanced species. And again, we can discuss the logistics of that. And we will touch on it a little bit as we go through this podcast. But I think we've gone to a point where we've maybe taken it a bit too far, where we've actually scared people completely off of huge a huge part of the hobby. Because I think for many of us, Old Worlds, that's that's a huge portion of the hobby for us. I know probably about 50% of my collection is Old Worlds now. I know 
when I started getting into Old Worlds, it was like this doorway was open to all these other, you know, supposed forbidden fruit species that, you know, you're not supposed to have until you have a certain amount of time under your belt. I think it's sad sometimes when I hear folks and I've, what I'll do is I'll try to explain to them in the comments, you know, if I get a comment, like I'll never have one of these. Oh, don't say never. Maybe somewhere down the line, you'd be amazed at how many people like, no, never. I mean, I will never own one of these. They terrify me. I don't want one of those. You know, I have a family. It could, you know, do damage to my family. It could escape all this stuff, which is good because you need to think about that. But there's a point where there's a healthy level of, all right, let's think about this before I get it. If you bring an animal, I've said this from day one, if you're bringing an animal in your home, like an old world tarantula, your family needs to be aware and on board, whether you're, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, if you're a child, obviously mom and dad need to know what you're bringing into the house or a minor, they need to know what you're bringing into the house. But even with your loved ones, you know, my family is very familiar with what I have here. And I had to go through Billy, not like asking permission, but like, look at, this is what I want to do. Here's what they got. And she's like, if you think you can deal with these, you're fine. I'm like, yes, I can knock on wood years later, I've done fine. So I do think that there needs to be responsibility involved before getting into the old world or the quote unquote advanced species. However, I, I, it bothers me. It really bothers me when I hear folks say, I will never keep these. Like, my God, they look beautiful. They look like such awesome tarantulas. I'd love to have one, but I'll never keep one because blah, blah, blah. I think we've done too good of a job. It's like we've talked about the demonization of Pisolotheria species. I still go through this weekly. I At least once a week, I get a comment on somebody going, yeah, they're beautiful until they bite you or they're beautiful until they get out and blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't matter how many of these species I've kept. Like I'll tell people, listen, I've raised, I think it's like 14 species of them from slings. I have a bunch in a communal. I work with them all the time. They're not as bad as people say. It doesn't matter. They've got their minds made up. There's almost like a prejudice against them. And so that's where I think, you know, we have to kind of reevaluate sometimes how we deal with people as far as the old worlds are concerned. A lot of this comes from people being on the forums and watching, you know, beginners get jumped on because they immediately, you know, they come on, they go, hey, I just got into tarantula hobby. I'm so excited. I got my OBT coming on Thursday. And then it's like, here we go. Grab the popcorn because they're going to get jumped on where I think people see this and they they see the response that you know somebody gets when they supposedly grab an old world too soon and then they start thinking oh my gosh this must be a really serious thing here if people are getting this upset about the other one that pops up sometimes it drives me nuts is people will come on and go yeah i'm getting my first old world i have two years of experience and somebody will come on and go that's nowhere near enough experience i've been i've been in this hobby for eight years and i still won't get old worlds that drives me insane because that's you, buddy. That's not everybody else. I think we we can never overlook the fact that people come to this hobby with like any hobby, like any, dare I say it, like sport or activity, people are going to have, you know, there's going to be some people that have a better propensity to jump right in and do well than others. It's just basic human nature. Some of us are better at things than others are. And uh, like, there are things I'm really good at that I'm better at than other people. There are things I'm terrible at that other people are much better than me. And that makes sense that it would extend toward a hobby like tarantula keeping. And I've made the, you know, I've talked about this kind of in the here and there about the fact that I grew up on a farm. I grew up around animals. We didn't, we did a lot of work. We had chores before school. We had chores after school. On the weekends, all we did was work. I spent the majority of my time where I should have been socializing with men, making friends with animals. Summer vacation, I didn't go out and play with friends. I was working on the farm doing animal stuff. 
So I got really, I was around animals all the time. I would tame down everything that was my favorite thing to do. If we brought up, you know, I remember us buying a goat. It was nasty. It was one of these goats that was tied up in somebody's yard. It hated people. Took me a while, got hit a couple times, butted a couple times, tamed the thing down. I had skunks in our barn that we have barn cats and we'd have a food bowl, we'd put the food down and we'd have skunks that would come in and try to eat the food. I ended up taming down a couple skunks because they'd come in and just like, eh, skunks. That was the stuff I did as a kid. And a lot of it involved recognizing animal behavior, recognizing movements, recognizing mood. Obviously, it's a little more difficult with tarantulas because they're not really moody type animals. But all of that carried over when I got into exotics, when I got into snakes, and then eventually tarantulas. It helped me. It's my background. It kind of prepared me more for it than some people who have never had as many animals. I mean, we're not talking about if I just had one dog, it probably wouldn't have helped. It, it was just working with all different types of animals, watching their body language, watching their behaviors. It just carried over, and I think that's why I slid so effortlessly in from New World tarantulas to Old World tarantulas. But I also, and this isn't toot my own horn is just explaining the background that led into me getting into the hobby and why I think I made the transition rather easily and why it's easy for me to make observations because my entire childhood was watching animals, studying them, making observations about what they did, the behaviors and such. So that helped me. There's other people that that's going to be a little more difficult and it's going to take them longer time. But for me to go up there, like that would be the equivalent of me going up there, go, Hey, I jumped in really quick. So you could jump right in. I don't know that it's up to the individual. And we've talked about this topic before when people have asked when, you know, we worked on the when am I ready for an old world, and I've talked about that. But I also think we need to reexamine some of the, you know, just kind of with a more open eye, some of the rules that we create for this hobby for folks that are getting into it, some of the things that we do to restrict people, some of the things we throw around as absolutes that are mere opinions. So, for example, the ladder system. I, I don't know how many people out there have heard of the ladder system for tarantulas. I think it's a great idea, and I think it works well for many people that are trying to work their way up. It's kind of a nice way to kind of work your way through the hobby, starting with the supposed beginner species and working your way up to intermediate, advanced. So, for example, somebody that's interested in eventually keeping the more advanced New World terrestrials, for example, might start off with a Brachypelma, keep a Brachypelma for a little while, then go to maybe a Nandu or a Formictopus species, then finally maybe get up to a Theraphosa or something of that nature. Or somebody looking for Arboreals may start with an Avicularia Avicularia area and then work their way up to Salmopeus or Tapanakinius and then finally up to Pokies. The idea is you're building up. Now, this is an awesome way to kind of set benchmarks for somebody who's really trying to make sure they work their way up into the more difficult species. And I think it's, again, I've mentioned it's helped a lot of people. I've spoken to many people. It's like, yeah, I'm working my, my way through the ladder. This is what I'm looking for working at next. And as the hobby can be so large and there's such a diversity in terms of species you can get, either just, you know, the ones that are advanced because of the fact, the sole fact that they have potent venom and can be faster than new worlds, the ones that are advanced because they need have moisture requirements, I'm thinking more of the Theraphosa species, there's so much out there when somebody jumps in, it's nice to have a framework to look at that gives you kind of a guideline as far as, all right, these are kind of the easier ones. These are intermediate because of behaviors or because they require some more moisture. These are the advanced, again, because maybe not the behaviors, but that propensity to have that potent venom, the propensity for an escape or a bite. That's, I think, a great thing. And so I don't want this in any way, shape, or form, what I'm about to say coming up, to make it sound like I don't agree with the ladder system or the ladder system isn't a good thing. I love the ladder system. I remember looking up the ladder system when I first got into it and going, this is a really neat idea. However, 
it's one of those things like you can't be a slave to it. And you can't, I think we need to keep in mind that as much as it's a cool thing, A, trying to find people that agree completely on which species belong where on the ladder system is ridiculously difficult. Most people have their own little ladder system. If I made what I thought would be the ladder system for me and compared it to 10 other keepers, we'd probably have 10 different ladder systems. That's the truth of it. I've seen many debates on boards and on forums where people go, oh, I think, you know, Acanthoscuria geniculata is a great, you know, tier two spider for terrestrials. And somebody will come on and go, I think they're a great beginner species. Right there, we have a breakdown. So I think that with the ladder system, it's a guideline. I think what people should do when using the ladder system is get in, read different ladder systems, make kind of your own list. Like, where do you want to go with this if you're going to use the ladder system? I think to jump on and take the first ladder system you find and assume that's the real one, you're going to be sorely disappointed because I don't think there is a real one. It's this idea, this construct that people came up with to kind of categorize these animals in a way that makes it more organized and easier for newer folks to digest. But unfortunately, there's no standardized, agreed upon written in stone list of what constitutes the actual definitive order on the ladder. You can get, you know, do some research. You get so many different, before I started doing this podcast, I sat down again, I was taking notes for it. And I'm like, what are people saying now? I found so many different conflicting lists. Every time somebody posts a list of what they think the order is, somebody else comes on and shoots it down and becomes a discussion, which is good because again, I've always feel like that we can't walk in this hobby. We tend to black and white everything and there's a lot of gray areas and this is obviously a gray area. So what those discussions turn into is more of a discussion of the individual behaviors that would put one tarantula in one place or another. And I think that's where the most important information is. So unfortunately with the ladder system, I've had people ask me and I had an email recently, could you please tell me what the exact order of species are for the ladder system? And I was like, no, I can't because I don't even know what it is. I said, here are some things I would look at if I were trying to put together my own ladder system, but I don't know what the, there's no real agreed upon one. So that's something to keep in mind because again, what we're having is a problem with people that are getting into the hobby that are so, they're trying to follow the rules. They're trying to, they're going by the book, which is great, but they get stuck in this fact that a lot of the things they're reading about are people's opinions and not facts. So another thing about the ladder system that always kind of drove me nuts a little bit is how much time you need to spend on each quote unquote rung of the ladder, because that's going to differ from individual to individual, from keeper to keeper. Again, depending on the experiences and the skills that you bring to the hobby. I have spoken to people that caught on to this hobby so quickly that like I get the email, Hey Tom, I'm going to get my first spider. It's going to be a GBB. I'm so excited. And then six months later, they got 50, they're breeding, they're having a good time. They've had no issues with them whatsoever. I've had other people that have emailed, Hey Tom, I got my first spider. I got my it's it's a B album pelosum and then three years later you know I'm thinking about trying to pick it up a little bit and get a green bottle blue neither of them are wrong they're going by what they feel comfortable with and again a lot of this a lot of where you go in this hobby needs to be dictated by how you feel as far as your own skills now again somebody's going to jump in and go yeah but there are people out there that don't seem to recognize what their own skills are and that's the truth I've had people that come on and go you know what I, I raised gerbils for several years so I know I can they're faster than tarantulas so I can raise those and that was legitimately somebody was talking about gerbils and hamsters and that was their background information explaining to me how it would carry over and I it didn't necessarily make sense to me, but it made 
sense to them. But when they were talking about like I could, I could keep old world species because the speed shouldn't be that much different. I've been bitten by a gerbil before. That's when you realize this person probably doesn't really know what's going on. And and there are people like that out there, unfortunately. But there are also a lot of people that are very cognizant of their own limitations, their own skills, skill sets that know this is something I can do. This is something I can't do. And unfortunately, when we start assigning arbitrary numbers, like I've I've heard you have to spend ten years. This was on one of the things I read. Ten years on the first tier before you should even think about jumping into old worlds or 10 years, at least 10 years experience before you move into old worlds. I No, I, I don't agree with that. I'm sorry. That's, again, making a black and white issue out of something that's very, very gray. I think people jump right in. I always bring up the example. And I had somebody argue this with me the other day, like there's no way, shape or form, anybody just getting into the hobby should start with an old world. And again, on the surface, it sounds like a an accurate statement, but a lot of people do start with old worlds. They do well. I don't think it's for the majority of people. I think having people start with beginner species, for many people, that's the prudent way to begin. But it's not the only way to begin. And I point out Australia. Australia, they're not allowed to keep any species that aren't endemic to Australia. So this basically limits them to Phlogius or Selena Cosmia and a couple other uh, genera of tarantulas that are found only in Australia. And guess what? Australian tarantulas are all old world tarantulas. So every tarantula hobbyist in the wonderful country of Australia starts off, unless you're pulling stuff in illegally, with old world tarantulas. And I'll tell you, I've had some of the tarantula species from Australia. They're they're fast. They're really fast. I got a video of my Selena Cosmia Crassipes uh, hunting, and she, in a blink of an eye, runs all the way out, grabs a runs all the way back to her burrow, in a blink of an eye. Like, you watch her run all the way out, run back in before I jerk the camera because I was startled. That's how fast they are. They all start with them. So right there off the bat, saying nobody should ever start with a old-world tarantula is just silly because we have a whole country of people that are starting with old-world tarantulas, and I talk to a lot of them, and they do fine with them. They're careful with them. So that kind of negates that whole thing right there. That proves it wrong. People can start with old worlds. They just need to be prepared. They need to be educated. They need to, it's more about recognizing your own ability level. I, I think people that is kind of goes in contrast to how we started this off. It's like people who say, I am not ready for an old world yet. They're very cognizant of the fact they're not, they know something inside. And I think we all get to that point. Those of us who got into old worlds had that little, you know, feeling of thrill in our chests when we picked up our first old world, like, Ooh, this is kind of naughty. This is dangerous. And then you realize pretty, pretty quickly, if you spend a lot of time with them, that the only major differences are that speed and the supposed defensiveness and the fact they pack the potent venom. But for many of us, and myself included, I'm going to throw myself in the ring here, I've had more difficult rehousings or most of my difficult rehousings come with my new world tarantulas. My old worlds, I really don't have a, a bad time with. And that's not to say, to be very clear, that's not to say I'm telling people that there isn't a danger there. There is. But I'm just saying that behavior-wise, when we do these ladder lists, one of the things that isn't taken into account sometimes is the differentiations in behaviors between from specimen to specimen. So, for example, I hear a lot of people say Formictopus species is an intermediate species because of that behavior, that defensiveness. They're nasty. They're ornery. They're, you know, they'll come at you. I've heard people say they come right, their specimens will come right at them, slapping the threat posture, bearing the fangs, nasty. I have now raised, okay, it's like eight 
species or uh, you know subspecies again when i i have, for example the species purple i'm pretty convinced is just regular pecanserides but i've had eight different types of formictopus i believe seven or eight i'd have to double check i should have written this down in my notes but i've raised most of the ones that are available i've had no problem with any of them i got them early on i've never had any of the i, I don't know i just have very calm formictopus so if i was trying to get a formictopus species to prepare myself for more ornery, potentially maybe an old world tarantula later on that might, you know, stand its ground and throw a threat posture because that's the big draw of the Formictopus. They're supposedly one of the new world species that isn't going to kick hairs. It's going to stand and fight. So that gets you ready, supposedly, when you're looking at the ladder system for the more defensive old world species that will rather stand and fight because they pack that venom than run away or obviously they're incapable of kicking hairs. However, if that was my intention, I've been, I've had the Formictopus for many, many years now it would have failed miserably to prepare me because I've never had an issue with them. So here I would have been going by the ladder system. I would have picked up my formictopus. What have I learned that was any different than working with my rose here? Nothing. I've had a handful of threat postures and it's always because I startle one that's kind of in standby mode with a prey item. So you drop it, it's, it's sitting there. You, you know what the spiders look like when they're like in standby mode. They're not really sleeping, we don't think, but they're not active and it, you can startle them. And I've dropped like critters in there for them to eat and startle them and I get a threat posture but next thing I know it it hops on the prey item and it's fine so the feeding response is fantastic that I'll, I'll say that so I could see somebody getting in trouble getting intimidated by the feeding response but these guys wouldn't have prepared me for anything honestly so that's the other issue with the ladder system is it all depends on the species you get if you're getting a for example I'll use my Salmapius cambridgei that is a good species I think for people who want to get ready for pokies it's a good species because of the potential again for the speed the defensiveness and the fact that supposedly the venom's a little worse than some of the other new, uh, new world species that would be a good stepping stone however mine has been again a total sweetheart so if i had gotten her first to prepare myself for pokies i really it would have helped me i will say this it would have helped me prepare for rehousing and dealing with larger arboreals and you know ones that aren't avicularia that are kind of teddy bears is compared to other arboreal species that it would have helped a bit but as far as the defensiveness the nastiness no she's shy she's laid back the last time i moved her i did the poke and pray where i just kind of Tapped her back foot. She moved into a new enclosure. She was perfectly fine. Again, she's a sweetheart. So had I been sticking to this ladder system, had I been going like, all right, I've got to get these guys in order, that would not have prepared me at all for Pisolotheria. And then ironically, for the most part, as far as Pisolotheria are concerned, mine are some of the gentlest, calmest, shyest tarantulas I have. We had Billy was out with me the other night and I was feeding some tarantulas and I had some piece of Letheria out and I'm feeding them and I'm sitting there with the camera getting up, getting beautiful pictures. I'm like, call her over and go, yeah, here they are, the demons. Look at, they're terrible because I had somebody again the other day say that, you know, yeah, you think they're beautiful until they latch on your face and bite you. And I'm like, yep, look, it's going to jump up and hug my face the way it's doing the little tarantula happy dance while it's eating. No, I don't see that at all. So again, I think the ladder system is fantastic for giving you a guideline, but understand that if you're not getting several species of these, if you're getting one species on this list, so you're starting off, say you pick up an Ophthalmopelma calcotis for your first one, and then you go, all right, I'm going to pick it up a little bit. I'm going to pick up an LP. You could have the most gentle LP on the planet. And then you go, I'm going to pick it up again. I'm going to get a Formictopus because I've heard, you know, here we go. We're a little moisture dependency when it's smaller and they can be nasty as adults. Well, if you had one of the Formictopus I have, you're no closer to being prepared or having any type of experience that's going to prepare you for a fast defensive tarantula. Now, let's get into some of the fast, supposed fast defensive ones. 
and I've said this a lot more recently in my videos. Back in the day, I was trying to be more, you know, and I don't want to sound like I'm being irresponsible here, but I was trying to be very responsible with not making as big of a deal as I could about the fact that my old world species, knock on wood, I have a bunch I have to rehouse and this could be next week. Yeah, hey guys, I got bit. But my old world species, I've never had any problems with them whatsoever. A lot of it, when I first got my... My first larger old world was actually a piece of Letharia vitata. It was like a four-inch specimen, three-and-a-half, four-inch specimen, good size one. And the first old world I had to rehouse was that spider when she hit about five-and-a-half inches. So this was a good-sized spider. And you should have seen, we were, it was me and my son who was, I think, 20 at the time, 20, 19, 20, was kind of back up. It's like, all right, you stay here in case anything goes wrong. But we were treating it like it was some radioactive creature or something, like, oh, be careful, be careful. And it just calmly walked out of its enclosure went into the new enclosure, I put the top on, it was fine. Now again, you always have to prepare and I don't want anybody to think I'm sending the message that these guys are all easy. They're not. And it all comes, I've said this many times, it all comes down to three housings and you have to prepare for, all right, 99% of the time it's going to go well, it's going to go smoothly, but that 1%, are you prepared for when the spider bolts and ends up in a place you don't want it? Are you prepared if the spider ends up running on you? Because that can happen. And that's where things are really going to go wrong. But again, it kind of comes down to what you bring to the table naturally, because if a situation like that happens, it's kind of hard to prepare for that unless you're purposely letting spiders run all over you. We were just, I was talking to Billy the other night and we were talking about the fact that, you know, Pokies, God forbid, anyone got out and got on me. And we actually do have, you know, we did plan for the fact that, all right, should one get out, any spider get out and get on me, she knows what to do. She knows how to cup them, get it off me. It's hopefully never going to happen. But that's something, as far as having one shoot up your arm, that's something that's going to be like, all right, spur of the moment, how are you going to react? What are you going to do? What you can prepare for is to recognize when that could happen and abort the rehousing. And that's, I think, an important uh, distinction to make when people go, all right, you know what? Experience is never going to prepare you for that. No, you will not hopefully be able to get experience with an old world tarantula running up your arm and going under your shirt or around your back. That's not going to happen. But what you can get experience doing, and this is where I think people sometimes miss the mark a little bit, is your rehousings, getting your rehousings done, recognizing what spiders look like when they're rested, when they're trying to hide, being able to cup them when they're in a good state of mind, because trying to cup a spider that's racing around enclosure is a good way to have an escape or get bit. Recognizing when your spider is relaxed with piece Letharia, this is very important because you can tell when they're trying to hide and camouflage and I found that's the best way and best time to try to cup them and move them but if you see one that's on high alert that feels exposed put the cover on get the heck out of there because that's when you're going to have the problem so that's where the experience comes in with those rehousings but as far as preparing for somebody you know one of them climbing up or whatever that's not going to happen so that would be a spot where the ladder system would benefit because you're going to be, if I'm trying to rehouse a spider, I will tell you rehousing in arboreal species, there are some little differences from rehousing, say a terrestrial, and obviously a lot of differences from rehousing a fossorial species. So rehousing that big, you know, six and a half inch Salmapius cambridgei definitely in that respect will get you used to more used to how to work with an arboreal, what movements they make, what they're going to do if they bolt, will they flatten down the bottom of the enclosure, will they hide on a piece of cork bark, and I just grab the piece of cork bark, lift that out and put that in the new enclosure, all those types of things, that will help you prepare for that. What it won't help you prepare for is the instance where it gets out and gets on you or gets away, that's something that you're going to kind of have to deal with on the fly unless you just do terrible rehousings and your spiders get out all the time, which I guess is a possibility. And speaking of the Salmapius versus Pisa Letharia and the Tapanakinius, I've had more people have trouble with their tappies than their Pisa Letharia species. And in fact, I can go a little bit further. 
I actually found that working with my piece of Letharia, and this is just because I went in kind of a, a wonky order. I was used to working and rehousing piece of Letharia long before I got my first tapis or most of my Salma Pius. And the piece of Letharia were actually a nice way to learn how to transfer a, a larger arboreal for when I got to those species because they've been a little crazier than my piece of Letharia. So you have this weird situation here where technically it all comes down to the venom potency. So basically what you're using in theory in the ladder system is the Salma Pius or the Tapanakinius to prepare for rehousing what are usually calmer animals in the pokies because of the venom potency. You're afraid of getting bitten. So it comes down to the pokies being higher up on the list because of the potential, not even behaviors. Think about it. Most of the people you talk to will tell you their pokies are calmer than those other two genera of tarantulas. But it's that venom potency, which again, I think is prudent. You need to be careful. It's no joke. You can watch videos of people that were bit. I'm thinking of Rob C who got bit and he's a big dude and he is in a bad spot. The venom is awful and it could be awful for you if it escaped and hit a pet or a family member. God forbid, that would be a terrible, terrible experience. However, overall, if you talk to most keepers that have been in the hobby for a while that have kept Tapanakinius, Salmapius, Pieceletheria, they will tell you the Pieceletheria are generally the more calm. So think about that. You're preparing with potentially a species that will give you a harder time to get ready for what's generally considered to be a more common species that could pack a bad bite. So that's where it starts to crumble a little bit for me because in my case, my Pieceletheria again got me prepared for working with those other species. I have a Salmapius Armenia who isn't that bad overall, but she's a little feisty and moving her out, she was a little crazy and it kind of prepared me for how they move whatever working with the Pieceletheria that I found to be calmer overall. Knock on wood, again, I've got to rehouse. I feel like I've just jinxed myself horribly on this subject because I've got to rehouse all those P. Metallicas that are in the communal and I, I don't want it to sound like I'm coming off cocky. Obviously, temperaments may vary and I have the, the species of Pieceletheria that I would tell people to shy away from that I found in my collection it could be a little more high strung are the Pieceletheria ornatas. I've had three of them. One of them was pretty laid back. The two I have now that are most likely males are definitely a little more high strung and prone to flight than some of my other ones and that's a species you don't want to get bit by. I've heard Rufaladas again because of the sheer size of them. Those are another one I'd probably push to the advance like keep in advance but some of the other pokey species really aren't that bad. Now, again, before anybody minces my words here or, you know, twists them around, I'm not telling people, beginners, to go out and grab P.S. Letharia. What I am breaking down is the fact that the ladder systems available out there are not only not consistent, but not foolproof. I think the trick is for anybody who wants to use the ladder system to compare different ones, go on the boards, go on the forums, ask people what they think are good stepping stone tarantulas, and don't limit yourself completely to a certain time period that you need to keep them in order to move on. It comes down to when you feel good and ready. If you're keeping some of these supposed more defensive species and you're, you've got your rehousings down, you're having a good time with it, you're not spooked if something goes wrong and a tarantula ends up, you know, maybe not going directly from container A to container B, then you might be ready to move on to some of the more advanced old world species. And for folks out there, again, the, to go circle back to the original point out there, for folks out there that have it in their head that old world species are demons, don't, it, they're not. They're, Billy and I comment all the time that some of the most easy rehousings we do are those old world tarantulas. Again, you're dealing with the potential. That's what it comes down to. When I do my new world or my beginner species list, I've had people come on and put want to put some old world species on there. And my 
big thing for not putting old world species on there, even though there are some old world species that could be more laid back than some of the new world species, is the venom. It's that potential. So somebody that's looking for a beginner species that's looking at these lists and trying to figure out what they want probably isn't going to be ready for the potential of that defensiveness, that speed, and that bite. That said, many of these guys are easier to rehouse and easier to work with than some of the so-called beginner species. It comes down to the variance in temperament from specimen to specimen. So in which case, when you get down to it, a lot of the spiders that you have old world that people are shying away from are going to be easier than some of the new worlds you're dealing with. You're just worried about that threat of bite. So again, I think for some people that threat of bite is enough. They've read the bite reports. They've read what can happen. They've read the horror stories of what old world venom can do. And they've decided I'm not even going to put myself in that situation. That's completely understandable. But do understand also that a lot of us work with these species all the time and don't feel threatened by them. There's not, as long as you got your rehousings down, you don't have the thing escape in your house, it's not going to be an issue. And again, think of how many people, we talked about the whole continent of Australia, they're not able to keep any new world species. All of those guys start out, guys and gals start out with old world tarantulas and do fine with them. So there's a lot of examples of people out there that are keeping these and some of them, you know, again, beginning with them. And this whole podcast, I just want to make very clear one more time, is not trying to tell beginners they should jump into old worlds. It's trying to show people that sometimes that line between, you know, what makes a difficult spider, what makes an easy spider is blurred when it comes to old worlds and new worlds. It comes down to the venom. So keep in mind, all, there are a lot of people that start with old worlds world tarantulas that do fine with them. Obviously, the entire continent of Australia starts with old world tarantulas and do fine with them. A lot of people have worked their way up to them and will tell you they weren't as bad as they thought. So this is more of a message to just kind of, you know, when you're exploring and doing your research and looking at those ladder lists and looking at all the stuff out there about old worlds and how nasty they are, keep in mind a lot of that is the hobby trying to protect itself because there is a lot of fear out there that because tarantulas aren't looked at very fondly by many people out there that one bad bite one kid you know god forbid a pokey gets out someplace bites a kid kid goes to the hospital local news picks it up next thing you know it it's all over the national news kid bitten and put in the hospital by tarantulas people are asking why would people want to keep these they're dangerous and then all of a sudden we've got tarantula bands it can happen so i think a lot of times the hobby builds these guys up demonizes them in a way to kind of keep them out of the hands of many of the people just getting into the hobby that could fumble with them and have one of these incidents happen but we do it to a point where it almost we start believing it ourselves and I've heard people and I've known of people that have gone online and talked about how scary and dangerous and defensive old worlds are and behind the scenes they're like, yeah, they really don't give me a hard time at all. So I do think we need to find that happy medium. We do need to recognize the fact that anybody getting into the hobby needs to be aware of the difference between old worlds and new worlds. Anybody getting into the hobby that is looking at an old world to start with or looking to move into old worlds needs to read those bite reports, realize what can happen needs to recognize that they're generally more fast and that their go-to is going to be those fangs if something goes wrong. But ultimately also needs to understand that a lot of people work with them, have no trouble with them. And that if you have, you know, if you're not messing around trying to take pictures of them, I think again, that's where if you read those bite reports, and that's another important thing I always encourage people, read the circumstances that surround the bite reports, because a lot of times it's somebody doing something foolish or careless. It's not the spider. They're not opening up and taking out a bolus and the spider runs out of its burrow and bites them on the hand. They're prodding it for a photo. They're pulling away a cup while the spider is right there with their hands. They're removing boluses when the spider is obviously agitated. It's things of that nature. So if you use common sense, if you're calm, they're definitely 
definitely accessible for most people. I just, again, hate to hear people writing off the entire, all of the genera we have of old world tarantulas saying, I will never get one of those because they've read all these horror stories. G- give them a shot. G- you know, look at some of the quote unquote beginner ones out there. Or in the worst case scenario, try some of the feistier, more defensive new world tarantulas. If you're doing well with them, you're probably going to make that transition very easily into old worlds. In fact, you may find like many of us have that the old worlds are going to end up being easier than some of those more defensive new worlds. It seems to be a lot more feisty overall, just not as fast and obviously don't have the threat of that venom. And again, the ladder system can be a great thing, and I encourage people to check it out, look at the different ladder systems, compare them, put a list together of ones that you want. If you're going to do it, make your own. Go through, look at those ladder systems, pull different species out, read what people say about them, read those debates. That's, I think, where the most, the best information comes from is not somebody throwing up a, a random list of species they think that you should take in a certain order in order to be able to get to the advanced species, but read the the dialogue between people talking and discussing about the behaviors because that's what's going to, that's what you should be focusing on, honestly, the behaviors. And as far as folks waiting for a certain amount of time or that, they, you know, how long should I wait? It's not how long. It's when you feel comfortable, when you feel ready, when you have your rehousings down, when you think about rehousing an old world spider and it's not giving you the sweats or nightmares at night, it should come down to that personal feeling that you're going to get that tells you that you're ready. And everybody, there's going to be that thrill. There's going to be the adrenaline rush when you do your first old world. But what happens with a lot of us is we do the first one, we get all jacked up, we're sweaty and it goes well. And then we do another one and it goes well and you do another one. And then you start realizing this really isn't that bad. You should always be cautious. Don't get me wrong, but it shouldn't be a fearful thing. You shouldn't be fearing that. And I think that's what it comes down to. So if you're one of those folks who are saying, I'll never get an old world, hopefully listening to this will give you a little more encouragement to at least not write them completely off. Again, I I do understand there are going to be people that have no interest in it and don't want to take the chance whatsoever. It's like people that say they want to go skydiving and other people are like, I'm never going to take the chance. I totally appreciate that. But I do think some out there are going at it from a point where they've been scared into thinking they'll never be ready for it. So I just want people to keep an open mind and maybe, you know, it's not in the near future, but somewhere along the line, if you you want to try out that M. Balfouria or that H. Polkerpies, you know, two of the, I think, easier old world species to take care of and to kind of introduce you to the old worlds or the Darlingi. See, Darlingi is another good one. If you want to pick one of those up, don't write it off completely. Just continue doing what you're doing. Do those transfers, get your stuff down pat, get your husbandry down, and then maybe down the way you'll be a little more open to it. And then I always encourage people reach out, ask questions. If you're scared about them and have worries, talk to somebody about it. Send out an email to somebody that you know keeps them. People email me all the time asking me whether or not they're ready or not and some of the things they're worried about and I try to put their mind at ease but don't just completely give up on them because there are some absolutely amazing spiders that I think people will be missing out on if they take that stance that I will never keep an old world tarantula all right, so that will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube or my website which drastically needs an update. Also wishing everyone a happy and safe new year. That's right around the corner. So I guess the next time I'll be talking to you guys will be 2020. So you all have a good one. We'll catch you next time.